Chapter Eleven of the Queen's Necklace by Alexander Dumas, translated by Henry L. Williams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Monsieur de Souffrain. Contrary to the usual habits of a court, the secret had been faithfully confined to Louis the Sixteenth and the Comte d'Artois. No one knew at what time or hour Monsieur de Souffrain would arrive. The king had announced his jeu de roi for the evening and at seven o'clock he entered with ten princes and princesses of his family. The queen came holding the princess royale, now about seven years old, by the hand. The assembly was numerous and brilliant. The Comte d'Artois approached the queen and said, "'Look around you, madame.' "'Well?' "'What do you see?' The queen looked all around and then said, "'I see nothing but happy and friendly faces.' rather then whom do you not see oh i understand i wonder if he is always going to run away from me oh no only this is a good joke monsieur de provence has gone to wait at the barrier for monsieur de souffrain well i do not see why you laugh at that he has been the most cunning after all and will be the first to receive and pay his compliments to this gentleman come dear sister replied the young prince laughing you have a very mean opinion of our diplomacy monsieur de provence has gone to meet him at fontainebleau but we have sent someone to meet him at villejuif so that my brother will wait by himself at fontainebleau while our messenger will conduct monsieur de souffrain straight to versailles without passing through paris at all that is excellently imagined it is not bad i flatter myself but it is your turn to play the king had noticed that monsieur d'artois was making the queen laugh and guessing what it was about gave them a significant glance to show that he shared their amusement the saloon where they played was full of persons of the highest rank monsieur de conde monsieur de pentievre monsieur de tremouille etc the news of the arrival of monsieur de souffrain had as we have said been kept quiet but there had been a kind of vague rumor that someone was expected, and all were somewhat preoccupied and watchful. Even the king, who was in the habit of playing six-franc pieces in order to moderate the play of the court, played gold without thinking of it. The queen, however, to all appearances, entered as usual, eagerly into the game. Philippe, who with his sister was admitted to the party, in vain endeavored to shake from his mind his father's words. He asked himself if indeed this old man, who had seen so much of courts, was not right, and if his own ideas were indeed those of a Puritan and belonging to another land. This queen, so charming, so beautiful, and so friendly towards him, was she indeed only a terrible coquette, anxious to add one lover more to her list, as the entomologist transfixes a new insect or butterfly without thinking of the tortures of the poor creature whose heart he is piercing. Coigny, Vaudreuil, repeated he to himself. They loved the queen and were loved by her. Oh, why does this calumny haunt me so? Or why will not some ray of light discover to me the heart of this woman? Then Philippe turned his eyes to the other end of the table, where by a strange chance these gentlemen were sitting side by side, 
and both seeming equally forgetful of and insensible to the queen and he thought that it was impossible that these men could have loved and be so calm or that they could have been loved and seemed so forgetful from them he turned to look at marie antoinette herself and interrogated that pure forehead that haughty mouth and beautiful face and the answer they all seemed to give him was calumnies all calumnies these rumors originating only in the hates and jealousies of a court while he was coming to these conclusions the clock struck a quarter to eight and at that moment a great noise of footsteps and the sound of many voices were heard on the staircase the king hearing it signed to the queen and they both rose and broke up the game she then passed into the great reception hall and the king followed her an aide-de-camp of monsieur de castria minister of marine approached the king and said something in a low tone when monsieur de castria himself entered and said aloud will your majesty receive monsieur de souffrin who has arrived from toulon at this name a general movement took place in the assembly yes sir said the king with great pleasure and monsieur de castria left the room to explain this interest for monsieur de souffrin and why king queen princes and ministers contended who should be the first to receive him a few words will suffice souffrin is a name essentially french like turenne or jean bar since the last war with england monsieur de souffrin had fought seven great naval battles without sustaining a defeat he had taken trincomalee and gondelier scoured the seas and taught the nabob Hyder ali that france was the first power in europe he had carried into his profession all the skill of an able diplomatist all the bravery and all the tactics of a soldier and all the prudence of a wise ruler hardy indefatigable and proud when the honor of the french nation was in question he had harassed the english by land and by sea till even these fierce islanders were afraid of him but after the battle in which he risked his life like the meanest sailor he ever showed himself humane generous and compassionate he was now about fifty-six years of age stout and short but with an eye of fire and a noble carriage and like a man accustomed to surmount all difficulties he had dressed in his travelling carriage he wore a blue coat embroidered with gold a red waistcoat and blue trousers all the guards through whom he had passed when he was named to them by monsieur de castria had saluted him as they would have done a king monsieur de souffrin said the king when he entered welcome to versailles you bring glory with you monsieur de souffrin bent his knee to the king who however raised him and embraced him cordially then turning to the queen madame said he here is monsieur de souffrin the victor of trincomalee and gondelier and the terror of the english monsieur said the queen i wish you to know that you have not fired a shot for the glory of france but my heart has beaten with admiration and gratitude when she ceased the comte d'artois approached with his son the duc d'angoulême my son said he you see a hero look at him well for it is a rare sight monseigneur replied the young prince i have read about the great men in plutarch but i could not see them i thank you for showing me monsieur de souffrin 
The king now took the arm of Monsieur de Souffrin in order to lead him to his study and talk to him of his travels. But he made a respectful resistance. "'Sire,' said he, "'will your majesty permit me?' "'Oh, whatever you wish, sir.' "'Then, sire, one of my officers has committed so grave a fault against discipline that I thought your majesty ought to be sole judge of the offence. Oh, Monsieur de Souffrain, I had hoped your first request would have been a favor and not a punishment. Your majesty, as I have had the honor to say, shall judge what ought to be done. In the last battle, the officer of whom I speak was on board La Severe. Oh, the ship that struck her flag, cried the king, frowning. Yes, sire, the captain of La Severe had indeed struck his flag, and already Sir Hugh, the English admiral, had dispatched a boat to take possession of his prize, when the lieutenant in command of the guns of the middle deck, perceiving that the firing above had ceased, and having received orders to stop his own fire, went on deck, saw the flag lowered, and the captain ready to surrender. At this sight, sir, all his French blood revolted. He took the flag which lay there, and seizing a hammer, ordered the men to recommence the fire, while he nailed it to the mast. It was by this action, sire, that La Severa was preserved to your majesty. A splendid action, cried the king and queen simultaneously. Yes, sire, yes, madame, but a grave fault against discipline. The order had been given by the captain, and the lieutenant ought to have obeyed. I, however, ask for the pardon of the officer, and the more so as he is my own nephew. Your nephew, cried the king, and you have never mentioned him? Not to you, sire, but I made my report to the ministers, begging them to say nothing about it until I had obtained his pardon from your majesty. It is granted, said the king. I promise beforehand my protection to all who may violate discipline in such a cause. You must present this officer to me, Monsieur de Souffrin. Monsieur de Souffrin turned. Approach, Monsieur de Charny, he said. The queen started at the sound of this name, which she had so recently heard. A young officer advanced from the crowd and presented himself before the king. The queen and Andrea looked anxiously at each other, but Monsieur de Charny bowed before the king, almost without raising his eyes, and after kissing his hand retired again, without seeming to have observed the queen. "'Come now, Monsieur de Souffrain,' said the king, "'and let us converse. I am impatient to hear all your adventures.' But before leaving the room he turned to the queen and said, "'Apropos, madame, I am going to have built, as you know, a ship of one hundred guns, and I think of changing the name we had destined for it, and of calling it instead—oh, yes,' cried Marie Antoinette, catching his thought, "'we will call it Le Souffrain, and I will still stand sponsor.' "'Vive le roi! Vive le reine! cried all. "'And vive Monsieur de Souffrain!' added the king, and then left the room with him. 
End of chapter 11. Recording by John Van Stan, Savannah, Georgia.